So what is it exactly that we'll be looking at or looking for? You know, that's a kind of an important question when we get into these sessions, don't we? It's an important thing we got to look at. I mean, what is it exactly we are looking for? Bible knowledge? You know, Bible knowledge is good, right? Bible knowledge is a good thing to have. What about studies? Studies? That's a good thing, right? Well, what is it exactly we are looking for? I keep, you know, it's kind of like a, a look in the mirror and a self-check. What's the purpose of we congregating all here online in the digital realm to have this live streaming session? Is it entertainment? Is entertainment inherently sinful? Are you entertained by the way I present things? Is that it? Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, though I'm not here to entertain you per se according to the context and description of Hollywood or these grandioso TV evangelist types who, uh, at the end of the day, want another private jet. So what is it exactly that we are looking for? You know, it's one thing to study the Bible and become scholars or scholarly, but what use is it if we can't recognize our life experiences within the pages of the Bible? Man, are you with me? You got your seatbelt on? Stick around. Really, though. And that's a problem in the church. It may not be the biggest problem, I don't know, but it's up there somewheres. It's a problem. Can we recognize our lives, the experience we have walking on this earth within the pages of the Bible? Can we connect with it? That's an important thing to, to have. Knowing the Bible, but not knowing how the Bible applies in our everyday lives? It won't function much. It won't be productive. I mean, who cares if you know the Greek, the Aramaic, and the Hebrew, but you can't take the inspired words in plain English and make sense of your experience for Christ on this earth? And I'm not saying it's bad or somehow sinful or wrong to know the Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. I'm not saying that. It's a matter of the motive. Why are you learning? Why are you here? Why are you listening to the words that I will be proclaiming? You know, we got to self-check that. I do that sometimes from the pulpit to the members on Sunday morning. What are you here for? Is this a social club? We hanging out? There's nothing wrong with it. fellowship. We're commanded to do so. But what's the motive of your heart? What are we learning for? What use is it to read Paul's epistles, know what all the words mean, but yet fail to recognize the wisdom of what he was going through and to discern his enemies? I mean, really. You know, many corrupt brethren behind pulpits can spew all sorts of big words, well-educated. But they're nothing but noisy gongs, useless noise. You know, we must worship God in spirit and truth. You can't have one without the other. So why are we here? What are we doing? Nothing wrong. Matter of fact, I encourage education. 
I encourage a scholarly mind in the scriptures. We should always grow in the word. But what's the motive behind it? What are we doing here? We're going to have some kind of an argument on who has the shiniest pin, the shiniest badge, who has the biggest truck. Uh, that's for the prideful. That's not for us. We got uh, more important things to do, don't we? We got to proclaim the good news of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We got to become all things to all men. We got to reach people. Are you following? Are you sticking around? You're going to like this, I'm telling you. Well, not because of me, but because it comes from the Bible, of course. So what are you looking for? If you're looking for things that are found in the Bible, you're going to like this. Stick around. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 9, we find the cure to corruption. Yeah, you'll find it in there. That's where it's at. I preached a sermon uh, on those verses a few weeks ago. I'll go find the link to that uh, video sermon, and I'll share it with you in the thread later on. But it's there if you want to look into it and kind of hear out what I have to proclaim from the scriptures regarding those verses in a lot more detail than I will this evening, because we're going to be looking at some verses a bit further than the uh, verses from 5, uh, sorry, from 3 through 9. But what we find in verses 3 through 9, chapter 5 of Matthew, is the cure to corruption. You know, in activating these behavioral attributes, these attitudes, will organically expose those who don't. You know, here we are minding our own business, wanting to be better people, wanting to be faithful Christians. We are poor in spirit, right? Right? We comfort those who mourn. We are comforted when we mourn. We are gentle. We are kind. We are merciful. We are innocent. We are pure. We are peacemakers. We seek what is right. Here we are minding our own business and folks just want to hate on us. Why is that? Because doing so in of itself organically exposes those who don't and they don't want to be exposed. In their minds, they're thinking, hey man, you're making us look bad. So they will organically expose this cure to corruption will organically expose those who don't. And this will make us the recipients of persecution. And that's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're getting into. Right? Okay? We in? We going in? You know, I've had many a great secular jobs way back in my past life. Uh, worked labor jobs, worked at factories, you know, flooring, worked in restaurants, call centers, anywheres and everywheres, from simple things to a bit more complex things. But the experience, I'm sure you have also seen in the secular world, working a secular job, you're going to find good employees, and you're going to find bad employees, right? You're going to find good and loyal employees who have integrity, they're punctual, they exceed, they excel. You're going to find those kind of employees in there. And the employers, oh, they like those kind of employees, and they reward those kind of employees. You know, back in the day, 
when not everyone had a trophy, you know, you kind of had to work for it. Mot- it, it <laughs> you had motivation to become better. Anyways, so you find those good employees, and then you find the other kind of employees. Oh, the lazy kind. They're always late. They've always got a story. They've always got an excuse. They're not doing the work they're supposed to do. They are minimalist when it comes to their labor in the shop, and they're a drag, aren't they? Well, they look at those who are good employees, oh, and they murmur, and they plot, and they twist, and they get envious and jealous, and they... Well, they hate the good employees, don't they? Why? Well, they make us look bad, That's what they're thinking. The boss comes around and sees that this good employee is working hard, sweating, and here we are being lazy, and it makes us look bad. If everyone was lazy... Well, the boss wouldn't look twice. He'd leave us alone. But here's this goody two-shoes. Got his nose way up there. We need to get rid of him. We need to have him removed. You've experienced that. I've been the good employee. I've been the bad employee. I've seen both sides of the fence. I've seen, the good, I've, I've seen myself as the good employee where the boss is giving me promotions, giving me raises, giving me... Uh, uh, greater responsibilities, and I've had the the poor, uh, the the poor, the, the 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 lazy employees just hate me for it, trying to get me fired. I've uh, I've been the other one too. I've been the lazy employee, you know, getting to work late, hungover, ugh, looking at the goody good two shoes over there, the good employee, and I'm like, I hate him. Look at him. He's gonna make us look bad. The boss is gonna come in today, make us look bad. You've seen that. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. So it's per- you'll receive persecution if you're a good employee from those who are lazy employees. If you've been in the workforce for a little bit, you've experienced that. I've experienced it in all the departments I've ever worked into. All right? Yeah, I know it. I know it. You know, walking into a deep and dark dungeon, right? We light up a... A, a torch, some fire, and we find hissings and slithering from all sorts of creepy crawlies, snakes, bugs, and pests. And these feel attacked. So they become hostile towards the light, don't they? They prefer darkness. John chapter 1, verse 5. That's why the wolves among us climb in another way. They do their evil works as thieves, these persecutors. They persecute. They hate any genuine and transparent faith. They are corrupt. They don't create. They take. They are corrupt. And Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 9 is the cure to corruption. And if we practice the cure in of itself, we'll expose those who don't And we will become the recipients of persecution. Jesus knew that. He spoke it. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. And there, my dear friends, we begin to read, I quote, Blessed, you know what that means? Most joyful recipient of God's grace are who? Are those persecuted for the sake of righteousness 
for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most joyful recipient of God's grace, and you know, his grace which instructs us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Most joyful recipient of God's grace are you, when they, your own brethren, insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, chapter 5, Matthew. Rejoice, verse 12, and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's important information. If we practice verses 5 through 9... Okay, we will become the recipients of verses 10 through 12, which will make us productive in the kingdom as seen in verses 13 and 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus knew exactly how to preach a sermon. I'll tell you that much. I ain't smart like that. I got to follow my master and know what's going on. That's what I got to do, right? That's what we got to do. Man, oh man, would be we we'd be a sad lot bunch, wouldn't we, without Jesus? I'll tell you that much. Okay, so stick with me. I'll tell you, I've been studying this stuff. I like to talk about stuff I study. I've been studying the Bible. I'm not saying I know everything in there, but I know some stuff. And I've been looking at persecution. I've been studying the words of my master. He's been teaching us, you know. Persecution. Rejoice and be glad? Well, there's another strange concept, isn't it? How can we be rejoicing and glad when our own kind, you know, persecute us? Stick with it. I got some stuff to say. You know, looking at the idea and the message in which Christ was teaching regarding the word persecute, to persecute is to aggressively chase and drive off. To make the faithful run or flee. Put to flight, drive away. Hence, to do whatever it takes to harass and to trouble. You're being persecuted when those things happen. You know, we tend to think sometimes, and I used to think that way when I was younger in my faith about 10 plus years ago now. Hey, listen, I don't even know what persecution is. I don't think anybody in the Western world even has a... (laughs) can even fathom what the word actually means because I always thought persecution was you had to be executed publicly in some kind of a torturous, barbaric way, you know. Well, that is indeed persecution, don't get me wrong. But persecution has a great many forms, and I I assure you, if you're faithful in Christ and you live in the Western world, whether it be America or in Canada, uh, you've experienced it. You've experienced it. Okay? Persecution to be persecuted, as Christ is speaking these words to all who would be productive, as citizens of his kingdom, practicing the cure to corruption, the attitudes, the behaviors that he taught 
To be persecuted is to be aggressively chased off, driven off. These who persecute will make the fateful runner flee. They'll put to flight, they'll drive away, hence to do whatever it takes to harass and to trouble. And within the spectrum and the umbrella of persecution, you'll find a great many other branches, tools utilized by those who seek to persecute, such as defamation. The one who tries to damage the faithful's good reputation. Was Jesus a deceiver? Was he the devil? Was he a blasphemer? Was he a thief? You know, the religious leaders of the day said so. They said so. Many people believed them too. Well, yeah. I mean, they were edumacated. They were the lawyers and the scribes. They know best. Here's Jesus saying all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I need to go ask my Pharisee. Well, of course Jesus was not a deceiver or the devil or a blasphemer or a thief. Those who accused him of these things were guilty of the very things they were accusing him. Defamation. They were utilizing various tools of persecution. What about reproach? To falsely accuse, to blame, to bring shame or disgrace upon the faithful. They'd do that, wouldn't they? They did that to Jesus. What about to revile? Administer destructive criticism towards the faithful. Have you experienced these things? The persecutor will try his best to have the faithful leave the location in which he seeks control. And listen, sometimes the corruption is so bad, you just gotta leave. Which turns into freedom. A blessing. Jesus says rejoice. What? Yeah, rejoice when these things happen. When these things are practiced against you. Rejoice. To experience God's grace? <laughs> that can't be right. But it is. And we want to tap into that. It'll grow your faith. I mean, what are you here for? Again, you're looking in the mirror. Why are you listening to me? You know the apostles? Leaving the Sanhedrin? Corrupt, corrupt body uh, of, uh, of individuals. You know, the Sanhedrin, they were persecuting the apostles. So the apostles, are when they left the Sanhedrin, they were rejoicing. And why were they rejoicing? Well, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Jesus Christ. You read that in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. They were rejoicing at being the recipients of this persecution? That's amazing to me. What are they tapping into? What kind of power are they tapping into to rejoice at the fact that they were being mistreated so badly they were being persecuted? By their own kind. Quote-unquote believers. What? Yeah, yeah, Jesus says, be glad. I had to go look at the word. I had to go look at the word. I had to understand what, what Jesus was saying with be glad. You know, it says jumping in celebration, to exult, to make glorious. Why? 
that don't seem like anything that would activate joy or a moment of rejoicing or gladness to be the recipient of such harsh persecution, to have your own kin and kind defame and reproach and revile, to bear false witness against you, to speak all manners of evil against you, to falsify witnesses and tamper with evidence and do all kinds of things against you, just because they're envious and jealous and they're not genuine. They're not creators. They're takers. It don't seem like fun to me. But yet Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Jumping in celebration. That's where we tap into the benefits of persecution. There has to be some. There'd be no purpose, rhyme, or reason for the teachings of Christ regarding this moment we all experience as faithful Christians if there were no benefits of persecution. The benefit, of course, heaven is great. You know, that's quite the measurement. Have you ever thought of that? The deistic power, the divine source that has created all good things we see and experience in the natural realm, in the organic field in which we can observe, we can test, Look at the power. Have you ever looked at the gem, the measurement in which this powerful God speaks of a heaven, a reward in which will be great? If God says it's great, <laughs> tap into his mind. What spectrum, what measurement does God have to say something is great and something isn't? If he says to us, for your reward in heaven is great, then, my friends, it's something we really, really, really want to reach. Because we look at the mountains and we say, look at how great the mountains are. We look at the galaxies. You see what that telescope saw not too long ago? It was all over social media and the news. You see that? The galaxies? It's an ocean of galaxy. You see how great it is? It'll, you'll have your jaw dropping like, ah. Well, imagine the God, the living God that created all those things, breathed those things into existence, spoke them into order, is saying your reward in heaven will be great. You got to take a seat there and just chill with that, marinate on that for a moment. I mean, you think being persecuted is bad? It is. But man, oh man, listen, homie. Heaven is great. Heaven is great. No wonder the apostles, when they left the Sanhedrin, they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus Christ. To be glad? Jumping in celebration? To exalt, make glorious? You know, there's a reward. Our pay, our wages, our salary is in the heavenly realm. Take courage, because the faithful before us were persecuted in the same way. We are not alone in this spiritual fight. And you know what's interesting with the information Jesus reveals and declares, instructs, commands, as he speaks to these people in the first century, to which we tap in now, recognize and should receive, believe, and practice its most noteworthy, to say the least. 
it's most noteworthy to say the le- to say the least. L- listen. For the sake of righteousness. Do you understand that? Blessed are those. Most joyful recipients of God's grace are those persecuted for the sake of. What a sake? My sake? Your sake? Whose sake? For the sake of what? For the sake of righteousness. What is right? <laughs> See, the corrupt among us who persecute us fail to see that gem in the treasure box. They think they're suffering for their own sake. No, 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 homie. We are to suffer for the sake of what is right, righteousness. And who is righteous? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. Oh, man, come on. Come on. Are you with me? Are you with me or what? Take courage, because the faithful before us were persecuted in the same way. We're not alone in the spiritual fight. It's been happening, man. Alexander, the coppersmith, did much harm to Paul. Yeah. And Paul said, may the Lord repay him according to his works in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Which kind of works were Alexander the coppersmith? Was Alexander the coppersmith practicing evil works? He's an evil worker. Paul speaks about that in Philippians chapter 3. Persecution. Paul received. Paul knew about persecution. (laughs) Come on, man. You know, Paul knew about that. What about the useless word salads from spiritual cancers like Hymenaeus and Philetus over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 and 17? You don't think that brought upon persecution? Well, of course it did. Of course it did. Evil workers. Evil workers. Oh, and what of Diotrephes? Who loves to be first among them? Likes to take preeminence, doesn't he? Control. He doesn't accept what we say, unjustly accusing us with wicked and malicious words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. You can read all about that in 3 John chapter, well, 3 John verse 9 and 10. You know, in verse 11, John says, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Those who practice the attitudes, the behavioral attributes, the cure to the corruption in verses 3 through 9 are good. We who are good will become the recipients of the corrupt, which is persecution. Do not imitate what is evil. What kind of evil? The evil workers among us. Philippians 3, again, Paul speaks of these who are of the false circumcision, these who seek a worldly citizenship, those who will be eternally destroyed, sadly. You know, knowledge is being able to understand the words of these recorded accounts. 
But wisdom is knowing what kind of malicious words Diotrephe utilized, what kind of brethren he forbade, and what became of the faithful Christians he put out of the church. You know, some of us leave corruption because we were being put out. This wisdom comes through experience. We live the word of God and we encounter all sorts of wolves among the sheep. Persecution. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. I'm sharing Bible with you. You know, idle, ignorant, and vain brethren today, vaunting an air of self-righteous virtue or enlightenment, would, in hypocrisy, rebuke Paul and John and all other faithful brethren, telling them, you know, to get along and work things out with Alexander the coppersmith, with Hymenaeus and Philetus, with Diotrephes, and, you know, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We're all brethren. We're all believers. Can't we just get along? Nowhere's in the verses that Christ spoke from 3 to 9 make us cowards, make us to be in fellowship with the corrupt. Quite the contrary, it is the cure to corruption in those among us who are corrupt. And let me tell you something, oh, they're among us. They're among us. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. John chapter 15, verse 18. You know, Jesus was the recipient of all sorts of persecution. Betrayal, abandonment, shunning, slander, false witness, corrupt courts, injustice, unfair trials, lies, mocking, ridicule, shame, and a violent murder. We murdered a man who could raise the dead. What are you going to say to that? We murdered a man, an innocent man, who could raise the dead. A man who could take our loved ones who had since gone to the grave and pluck him out of death's grasp. And we want to murder the man. We murder the man. We're a bunch of fools, aren't we? We're a bunch of fools. Persecution. Persecution. You know, Paul the Apostle, again, he was not a novice when it came to experiencing persecution. He wasn't. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10. This is a language in which will permeate within the minds of those of us who are faithful and have been for a long time. When we find ourselves weak, you know, blinded by our love and loyalty to corrupt and cunning individuals, looking the other way when all sorts of red flags pop up, being taken advantage of by those once we defended you know, we prayed for them, we gave them our money, we sacrificed our well-being for theirs, we shared of every good work to these individuals, and when we find ourselves struggling, unappreciated, and trying our best to remain faithful, in this persecution, we find strength. 
we heal and become strong. Are you with me? Knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, and we let endurance have its perfect result because God gives us wisdom generously. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. It is better to suffer doing good, suffer doing good, if that should be God's will. Now, not all saints will be called to die a horrific death for the cause of the gospel. Now, some of us will suffer differently. But it's better to suffer doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, verse 17. Individuals such as Diotrephes, Alexander the coppersmith, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and leaders who were Pharisees and Sadducees, lawyers, chief priests, scribes, and the Sanhedrin, these suffered for doing what was evil. Divisive brethren who come in and destroy God's good works will suffer for doing what is evil, but will masquerade as suffering for what is righteous. Oh, and they'll solicit your funds. We must learn to discern the difference. Paul wrote to his faithful brethren in Corinth that it is no great thing if Satan's ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Again, what kind of works? You got to rightly handle the scriptures. Man, I've been looking at this stuff. Evil workers. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 and verse 19. It's the same author. Paul, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, but for those who must suffer for being faithful, for doing what is good, we have reasons to be blessed, most joyful recipients of God's grace. And the reasons we rejoice and are glad when receiving persecution, my dear friends, great is your reward in heaven worthy of suffering for the sake of righteousness in the same way they persecuted the prophets. That's why we should rejoice and we should be glad because once we get to heaven, what this is now currently hard to swallow, persecution, won't seem all that difficult and we'll be extremely, extremely glad to have remained in God's grace. Great is your reward in heaven. Worthy we are to suffer. You know the benefit of persecution? You know what that is? Pay attention, man. Stick around. Don't get so easily distracted. Eh, let's go on to the next thing. No, stick around. The benefit of persecution... If we are willing to learn, is wisdom. It's wisdom. Yeah, it's wisdom. Wisdom produces growth. In other words, progress in our faith, our maturity. What use is it as a Christian if you've been persecuted for 40 years, but you've not learned any wisdom from it? You get idle. You get vain. You remain in a corrupt location with a corrupt leadership, with corrupt 
individuals behind the pulpit saying, well, I'm comfortable here. I've been here for a long time. Stay where you are then. You're just as corrupt and idle as the rest of them. No, no, no. We got to learn. We got to learn. This strengthens us. This strengthens our discernment. In other words, insight, the ability to judge what is true from what is a lie. And sadly, a great many of our brethren can't tell the difference. Many of them, I think, they've never really gone through much persecution. They've never gone through many things in the local congregation. They've not dealt with wolves in sheep's clothing. They've not dealt with hostile governments who put you in jail for quoting certain Bible verses. I'm not saying that necessarily in a it's wrong kind of a way. It's a blessing if you've been able to live in freedom and peace. But I think some of you take that for granted and don't learn much. (laughs) All right? The benefit of persecution, if we're willing to learn, is wisdom. There is great cause to rejoice and be glad. We've been found worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. We can learn this wisdom. It'll strengthen our discernment. We'll have greater insight and ability to, 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 to see and to judge what is right from what is wrong, what is true from what is not real, what is delusional. You know, I've seen some of the fakest gospel preachers and their wives spend their days talking about how real they are. Don't get snared by these. Don't get snared by these. They are persecutors. Listen, we've been called for this purpose, okay? We've been called for this purpose. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. In the first century, imperfect, yet faithful brethren were soon going to be the recipients of harsh persecution. Christ instructed them to not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Revelation 2.10. Friends, how did the devil persecute exactly? Well, who delivered Jesus into the hands of godless men? His own people the Jews, through his friend, Judas. The same for all faithful Christians who died for the gospel recorded in Revelation. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul told his brethren in Thessalonica, chapter 4, 17 and 18. Great is your reward in heaven. We need to stick with it, to rejoice and be glad when we go through devastating, heart-wrenching, sorrowful moments in life where we lose loved ones, where the devil snares and manipulates and controls our loved ones away from us, when there is withdrawal, when there is division, when there is all sorts of things that the devil causes in his chaos, God creates a path of wisdom to rejoice and be glad from the persecution we were the recipients of. Why? Because we are practicing the cure to corruption. Most joyful recipients of God's grace are all who are poor in spirit, who comfort those who mourn, who are comforted when we mourn, who are kind, who are gentle, who seek what is right, who are merciful, who are pure, who are peacemakers. We're going to be the recipients of persecution from those closest to us, kin and kind. Kin and kind. It could be husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, grandparents, siblings, children, brothers, sisters. Great is your reward in heaven to be found worthy to suffer. For what now? For the sake of what is right. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing. We got to tap into it. We can read these words. We can read these words inside and out, learn the original language, speak the original language, write the original language. All kinds of knowledge available. But if we don't know how this applies in our lives, what are we tapping into here? Really, what are you doing listening to me on a Tuesday evening on Facebook in a Facebook group. This is real life for us. This is what we live. It's what we live. It's what we do. You know, if you'd like to have the notes for this kind of a study, they will and be available over at addedsouls.locals.com. And we'd love to have you over there. Sign up. It's free to do so. And from there on, you can choose willing and able to support, giving you access to all sorts of material I produce over there. I appreciate you all a great deal. I really do. I hope these messages do something good, point you to the Bible, point you to God. I'm just the mailman. Don't sick your dogs on me, man. I just want to drop the mail in the box. It's your, <laughs> it's your deal. You open your mail. You know, persecution comes in a great many formats, doesn't it? It does. And as Christians, we will be the recipients of that. It just is what it is. We got to learn to live with it. We got to learn to rejoice and be glad that we got to suffer for the cause of the Christ, that we were worthy to suffer. Now do we go out in the streets seeking to be martyrs? Well, of course not. That would be foolish. That would be testing God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to go out there and say, hey guys, uh, kill me, <laughs> please. <laughs> Well, no. It's simply an organic reception when you are shining 
the gospel light in your community, when you are shining your gospel light within the local assembly. Isn't that good? Hope you consider getting involved and partake in our good work over here, the East Coast Church of Christ in Moncton. We planted this church May 8th of this year. Beautiful, wonderful church, 15 members strong. We've got a lot of goals and hope ahead, and we'd love to have you partake in this endeavor, this spiritual endeavor. We'd love to have you. Uh, you can check out the web, the website, eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. You can check out the Facebook page. You can reach out to me, email, uh, uh, private message. We can have a phone call. We can have a video chat, whatever. Uh, we'd love to, to have you involved. Uh, uh, elaborate on the information and the goals we have and all that kind of good stuff. You know, over here on the east coast of Canada, there are no churches of Christ in this location. We've just planted a church we minister to hundreds of thousands of people in this European model, you know, uh, persecution's been the way of life. Sadly, from our own kind, more so than the hostile heathens out there, but it is what it is. We don't give up, we persevere. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, uh, the word we, sp we spoke in our mid-studies, midweek studies. Perseverance, what does that mean? That's a big fancy word, isn't it? Well, it simply means we don't give up. When things get tough, the tough get going, and we ask ourselves, where are we going to go? We fall in line with what Peter told Jesus. Where else would you want us to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And so here we are, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. We are a diverse group. We reach a great many demographs. We have the hostility of a tyrannical government. But we still persevere. The good news remains. You know, we've learned to be joyful and be glad. Sometimes with tears, sometimes with a great weeping, but we're glad. We rejoice. Because heaven, once we get to heaven, all this persecution and death and all kinds of nonsense going on in this fallen world, it'll be done with. And those who have done us wrong will be punished. Will be punished. You know, Paul spoke while weeping of the destruction of these brethren among us who are in it for selfish ambitions, self-interest, prideful bullies. Was Paul unkind to his brethren? Was he just not getting along? Was it a misunderstanding? Well, of course not. Of course not. There are good brethren. There are corrupt brethren. And we will be the recipients of persecution from these kinds. Those who are corrupt are going to persecute. Anyway, okay. So there we go. I appreciate you all a great deal. I thank you all for the comments, the like and the shares, and all that kind of good stuff. Hopefully some information in here is worth something to you in your walk in this life. Um, and uh, I want you to stay focused. I want you to stay positive. I again thank Brother Andre Moore for uh, uh, asking me to, to, to give out a lesson here on Tuesday. It's, it's just such a blessing to share some scriptures. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, we'll keep going. Come check me out over at addedsouls.locals.com. You can find me also on uh, Facebook there. That all right? All right. God bless. <laughs>